Well, I am so excited to welcome you and to add my welcome to everybody that's joining us in the Christ Journey family for Easter 2017. For those at Kindle Campus, Gables Campus, for all of the Christ Journey family that sent in photographs so that we could feel like we're loved as part of this family, and especially for those that are joining us across the nation and around the world through Church Online. You are so loved today. And I'm also glad to welcome back to our Miami campus three teams that have just returned from the Bahamas, Nicaragua, and Ecuador, who took our love in Jesus' name to the world. They're back now. We give glory to God for you. And then there's another group that I really want to mention because I have loved ones in it. Some of us have friends and family member who since last Easter have crossed to the other side and moved from here to there. Can you imagine having your first Easter face to face with the risen Christ? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. In anticipation of that day, because here's what Easter tells us. God has done everything required that when we are absent from this body, we might be present with the Lord in anticipation of the day when a loud voice from the throne in heaven says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more grief because the former things are passed away. And so in anticipation of that day, we celebrate Easter this day and declare that Christ is risen in love for you. The series is for the love of God. And today's message is PDA, which takes me back to a time when Lisa and I, uh, my wife and I were first uh, dating. It was an awkward place in our relationship. You know, neither one of us had fully represented yet. You know, it wasn't this, I like you, do you like me? No, that hadn't happened yet. It was still like nonverbal, but I think both of us kind of knew that the other was really interested, but we just hadn't crossed that line yet. So we're walking back from the quad one day uh, to her dorm and I'm on her left side and she's got her books and her purse on her left side. We're walking on the sidewalk and a couple of steps, she's just chatting it up and I noticed she moves her books and her purse to her right side which leaves her left hand availably dangling <laughs> toward me. At least this is what I picked up, this is what I thought. So, but I didn't say anything. And I thought, well, I may have to put this to the test. So um, I just kind of slid over to her right as we just kept talking. And, and a few steps later, I noticed that she moved her books from her <laughs> right hand and her purse to her left side, which leaves her right hand availably dangling toward me. And uh, on one of those passes, it was like the back of our hands touched, you know, it was, woo. <laughs> I was like, there's a little electricity there. I, uh, I decided I would go for it. I did. I reached out. I squeezed her hand. She squeezed back. Thank you, God. <laughs> because it was like, you know, long story short, we've been holding on for 40 years almost now, you know? So it's like... But, but to my knowledge, that was the first contact, first PDA, public display of affection in our relationship that became a romance, that became married love, and that has now become family for these years. 
But I'm telling you, uh, love is, is confusing sometimes, you know? You, you don't, you have to figure out how do you read the signals? Because we don't always know what to say. How do you read the signals? And then when you're picking them up, you're wondering, well, do I take the risk? Because, you know, you don't want to be rejected. It's, it's a little difficult with love. And in our culture, I, I understand it can be confusing when we talk about love because you know what we say? We say, oh man, I love your car. You know, take me for a ride. Or we say, oh, I love your shoes. I love your purse. You know, we, we, say, um, we say, I love that song. Turn it up. I want to hear it again. Or we say, um, you know, I love my Android, I love my, my iPhone, depending on which one I'm not annoyed with at the current time, you know, I, I love. And then we say this, I love you. I love you. We use the same word. We don't mean the same thing, do we? You know, in tennis, love means what? Zero. <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear in the world, somebody will say love, what they mean is sex. Other times we, we use the word love, it's kind of a cloak for narcissism. You know what I mean? It's like the guy who was trying to convince his girlfriend to go to the next level with him. He says, um, he says you know, we have so much in common. You love me, I love me. We have so much in common. <laughs> it's confusing, isn't it? Love, and yet at the same time, we have this hope that, that burns, that bubbles within us, that if we could just find true love, if we could find real love, then it would invigorate us, it would validate us, it would um, liberate us. It would authenticate us, you know? It would, it would make us real, it would make us matter, it would make us live, it would, it would set us free if we could just be loved. You ever have imagined ideals about what love might be, how it's supposed to feel, what it's supposed to do? Maybe you relate to the song, um, I wanna know what love is. I want you to show me. A lot of voices, a lot of hearts in our world craving for that. In fact, generations view it differently too. I bet there's more than a few boomers listening in who sung along with the Beatles, love is all you need. You know, and you're believing it, love is all you need. And then, the, you know, the next generation, this is a generation doesn't want to be labeled, doesn't want you to tell me, you know, we're not busters, we're not Gen X. Okay, next generation, but you know, Def Leppard speaks for this generation. You know the song, Love Bites. Generations differ on this opinion. If you Google today, millennials, you know what the top love song of millennials is? It comes up if you check it out. Crazy in love, Beyonce. But there's more. From 50 Shades of Grey? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Love? You know, this is confusing. This is scary. This is why we feel so lonely because we don't know how to trust because we want love but we don't believe what people say when it comes to love because we really, some of us have no reference point, no real point of reference for what love really is. Only the confused, messy voices of a confused, messy culture where pieces of relationships lie broken and then just covered with scar tissue that leave us really suspicious out of our injury of trusting but we wanna know what love is. I want you to show me. 
And I'm telling you, God's answer to that question is as simple as this. You wanna know what love is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Um, And this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of Easter. This is the message that we celebrate today. And when that message, when the truth of it takes hold of your heart, then you wanna turn up the sound. You wanna, you wanna turn, do you wanna flash the lights? You wanna celebrate. When Rabbi Saul converted to Paul, former persecutor of the church, now preacher of the love of God, when it came into his life, he had to write about it. And he wrote to a group of people in Rome. And this is what he said. God, God commended his love toward us. God showed his love toward us. God demonstrated his love for the love of God and for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a strange PDA. Would you agree? If God wants to give a public demonstration of affection, what does it look like? He says, look at Jesus. And, but here's the thing that stands out to me about it. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He doesn't wait for you to decide to turn over a new leaf or to clean out the skeletons in your closet. He just, while we were still sinners, there's not an if then. If you'll be good, then I'll be good to you. It's not in there. This is, this is like the news part of the good news. What? Wait. If you then, no. While we were still sinners, while we're still in the mess that we're in, then that's when God breaks through. That's when Christ died for us. Now, the word Jesus used for the mess we're in is the word sin. It, it's the human default setting that leads us to live our lives as if there is no God, as if we're the only God of our own reality. And then that leads us into behaviors that can lead us, have you experienced this, into alienation and isolation and into further hurt and damage in the name of being my own God, my own boss. And those behaviors then take us into captivity. But God doesn't wait until we clean ourselves up. God doesn't wait till we figure it out. God doesn't wait till we... we we lift ourselves up into that new place we wanna be. He enters the fray in the middle of the mess. This is like the allied forces do storming Normandy Beach on D-Day. That's what happened at the cross. God shows up on Mount Calvary and bleeds and dies so that others can be set free. You wanna know what love is? Look at Jesus. But he doesn't wait till you get your life right. He doesn't wait till you decide to be religious while you're still in the mess. That's where he met me and loves me, forgives me, even sent somebody to come and see me and then to pray with me. Is that how it happened for you? I mean, beyond religion, beyond Easter Sunday, the, rea the reality of having a relationship with Christ, the living Christ, how did that happen for you? Was somebody there for you who loved you and prayed for you and, and met you in the mess that you were in and, and then lifted you into the opportunity of experiencing him? It happened for a guy named Titus, another guy that Paul was writing to, young man. And uh, he says, he was making it real clear again. It's like he's hitting the same nail with a different hammer, but he drives the same thing home. This is what he says to Titus. At one time, 
We were foolish. You relate to this? We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Deceived means that I tend to rationalize with myself. I tell myself rational lies. Do you do that? Deceived means I don't know what I don't know, but I don't know that I don't know it. But I act like I do. I'm deceived. I'm, I'm enslaved is the, the summary of this entire thought. I'm enslaved. That, that word means that you have given governance of your life over to another. Now, we would use it this way today. We would say addicted. Addicted. Perhaps you can relate to that, to some substance, to some sight on the computer, to some experience, to some pain in your life, to some something that just keeps you where you, you try to get out, but you can't get out. Paul says, you know, that happens because we get deceived, and then we get distracted, and then we get enslaved, and then that leaves us saying, I, I can't get out. And that's what God already knows. He doesn't wait for you to get out. He comes into the mess to meet you there. But does this sound like us? Does this sound like our world? It goes on. We lived in malice. That means this bitter kind of distrust and anger toward others and envy. There's a lot of stuff I want that I don't have, and I don't really want you to have it. I want to have it. And then being hated and hating one another. This is tomorrow's headlines, isn't it? But then look at this, but when the kindness and love of God appeared, that's the Easter message. That's the gospel message. That's the Christian message. That's the whole birth of it right there. It doesn't say, but when you decided to get your life right, when you decided to clean your act up, when you decided to be a better person, no, it says when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we do, but because of his mercy, the love of God, for the love of God. He saves us through the washing of rebirth. There is some cleaning that goes on, but it happens after the rebirth comes. God, God brings the cleansing power and applies the blood of Jesus to our souls and sets us free. And then it says that the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So you know what happened? After Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose triumphant over death and sin, ascends to the right hand of the Father, he said, I'm gonna send my spirit, and he pours his spirit out generously, Paul says. I don't know if you, when you think about God, the way he treats you, does generous come to mind? Because that's what Easter, when you're plugged in to the risen Christ, you sense the generosity of God being poured out, poured out, poured out, poured out on you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's why I'm saying, if you wanna know what love is, look at Jesus. Because it's not by works of righteousness, which you do, but according to his mercy that he saves us. God does for me, God does for you, God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And then we receive it as his gift because where sin does its worst, God does his best. That's the message of Easter. And you know what? There's, there's a real interesting word here in the original text that if we were to transliterate it out into English, you would recognize it right away. It's the word philanthropist. Philanthropist. In other words, the word used for the love of God is philanthropy. 
The one, you know what philanthropists are? They have lots of stuff and they give it away so that other people can benefit. He said, that's just what God does. God, God has lots of love for you and he is giving it away because he cares about you, generously wants to pour it on and this is what the Easter message is. For God so loved that he gave. In the movie, The Shack, there's this poignant scene of a conversation between Mac, who's the grieving father. He's really struggling. He's had a tremendous loss and that, that bitterness and judgmental has hit his heart pretty hard. And, um, and there's a scene where Mac is having a conversation with Sophia, who's the personification of wisdom. It's a private conversation that's taking place where wisdom, the wisdom character, invites Mac to take the seat of judgment, to sit as judge on criminals, lawbreakers, and then cast judgment and pass sentence on them. And then the turn in the conversation comes when Sophia says, and you have two teenagers, and both of your children have given evidence of sin and breaking law, and so now as judge, it is to you to decide which one of them you must condemn. You must choose one of your children to condemn to hell. Now, if that is a cringe thought for you, if that makes you bristle, you can imagine what is happening to Mac, the father. Because he says, I won't do it. I refuse. Sophia, Wisdom says, no, justice must be done. You must choose. He says, I will not, but you must. And, and at the climax of the conversation, he says, okay, then send me. I will die in their place. And Sophia takes a different tone and says, now you have just judged your kids worthy of being loved, even though it costs you everything and you understand Papa's heart. The father figure of the Trinity is what Sophia was talking about and how God the Father loves so much that though justice must be done, he says, then I'll take it myself. And now we're invited in to the cross once again to see real love. You wanna know what love is? Look at Jesus. See, the picture of Jesus on the cross isn't God the Father from a distance. The Bible says that God was in Christ as God the Son giving himself for us in our place. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, he takes the justice so it's acknowledgement, it's acknowledgement, the payment for sin happens as Christ dies in our place. But when we're turned into the upper room, when Jesus is with those gathered close to him right before the crucifixion, the view that he has on it isn't justice, he calls it love. He says, you know, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. There's that philanthropy again the friendship kind of love that puts it all on the line that says you matter to me too much to let you go. If you wanna know what love is, Easter's answer is this, look at Jesus. 
Dr. Richard Seltzer is a surgeon, and he was visiting with a couple after a surgery where he had to remove a tumor from the wife's cheek. Uh, and he remembers the moment like this because he would journal experiences out of his medical practice. And this, these are his words. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, somewhat clownish, a tiny nerve, the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth had been severed. She will be like this from now on. I had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, to, but to, in order to remove the tumor, I, I had to cut the little nerve. Her husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed and together they seem to dwell in, uh, in the evening lamplight, isolated from me. The moment is a private one. Who are they, I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made to uh, so generously, so lovingly gaze at one another. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. I say yes. The nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. The young man smiles, says, uh, I like it. I, I think it's kind of cute. And all at once, Dr. Seltzer says, I, uh, I understand. I know who he is and I lower my gaze one is not bold in an encounter with a God moment. And unmindful of him, Dr. Seltzer says, he leans over, he bends over to kiss her crooked mouth. And I can, I'm so close that I can see how he is twisting his own lips in order to accommodate hers to show that their kiss still works. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. But you know, when God in Jesus Christ was on the cross, what was happening is a contortion and a bending and a twisting to get through our crookedness to show us what the contact of love can do when it comes from Almighty God, if you're willing to receive it. So what God wants to do to break through to you is to get into your crooked places. Where the nerve is dead, where you stop feeling things spiritually, I don't know if you would say on a scale of one to 10, oh man, my spiritual senses are pow. Or maybe they're not feeling so much. Maybe they're numb, maybe they're not there, maybe they're dead. Paralysis has kind of set in. And so if it's up to you to get to him, it's not gonna happen. No, but if it's up to him to get to you, then he's saying, I'll go all the way. Now, some of us, we know this story. We've heard it hundreds of times, haven't we? Would you, would you hear it again for the very first time? This is the Christian message. This is the gospel of Christ. This is the Easter story. Almighty, infinite God, creator, maker of heaven and earth, who holds the cosmos in existence, when creating image bearers of his own, male and female, who reflect his very presence in love, 
sees what sin has done in creating scar tissue and damage and death and says, I'm not gonna let you go. But he doesn't just bend over heaven, he enters into earth's history, clothes himself in humanity, and isn't, that isn't enough. He takes upon himself the twisted disfigurement of our crookedness and sin on the cross. That he might demonstrate the power of love unconditionally and make contact through his PDA for the love of God toward you to show you how much you matter. You matter to God. This is the message of Easter. He knows you. He gets you. He loves you. Doesn't matter the mess you're in, the mess you're from. Doesn't matter that you can't get yourself out of it. While you are still sinning, Christ died for you. And having died was buried and rose from the dead. Why? So that he could do in you and for you what you cannot do for yourself from me. But it doesn't come from religious rituals. It doesn't come from keeping moral rules. It comes from learning how to trust a relationship in love that was shown at the cross. Jesus was on the cross because there's room in God's heart for you. There's room at the cross for you. That means there's now room in heaven for you. There's room at God's table for you, a place with your name if you want to be there. There's room for you. That's why he burst out of the grave to forgive sin, to make a way so that everybody who would trust his love could be at the table with him. Because you know how it is with love. When you love somebody, you wanna be with them. You wanna, don't wanna be without them. You wanna be with them. And God wants to be with you, not only in this life, but forever. And that's why rising from the dead creates an opportunity for absent from the body means present with the Lord, if I want it. But you know how it is with love. You gotta read the signals and then you gotta take the risk. Now I'm back on that sidewalk, you know? Back on that sidewalk where the books moved and the signal popped and I was wondering, hmm, did, did I just see something? And so I had to test it out, you know? And then I had to decide, am I gonna take a risk because what if this isn't real? What's gonna happen then? Gotta make a decision to... So here's the question of Easter. You're wondering, okay, what if that's true? What if God, there really is a God, he really does love me. This isn't just a religious hobby that we all engage in once a year, but God wants to break through to me. How would you get that? How would you experience that? What does it take? Well, Jesus said, we, read, we saw it on a verse a moment ago, that whoever believes, whoever believes in the sole love of God will not perish. So it starts by believing. I had to believe that day. I believe Lisa's sending me a signal. We hadn't shared words. Maybe you haven't heard words from God either, but he's sending you a signal. So believing is the first one and then receiving it. That, how do you receive it? Well, you gotta risk reaching out, just like I did. You gotta risk reaching out to a nail-scarred hand that is extended to you that says, I love you this much. Believe it, 
receive it, and then release it. I heard another song recently by Ed Sheeran. It says this, loving can hurt. You know that? That's the story of Easter. Loving can hurt. Yes, it can. But it's the only thing I know, he says. Loving is hard. <laughs> you got that one? Yeah, it can be really hard. Hey, this is the story of Easter. This is God's love. Loving is hard, but look what, it's, it's the only thing that can make us alive. Loving can heal and loving can mend your soul. Are you looking for healing, for mending of the heart and soul? Sheeran says, it's the only thing I know. And I can tell you this, it's the thing God really wants you to know. That as the source of love, he loves you if you will believe it, receive it, and let it be released in you. That's why at the end of the book, at the end of the book, the risen Christ is standing at a door and knocking. He says, look, 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 here I am. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I'll come in. We'll be together. We'll share table. For the love of God, open the door. Would you pray with me? Thank you, gracious, almighty God, for the profound love that led you to leave the clean distance of your heaven and enter the messy destruction of our world. Thank you that you have not forgotten us, that you have not forsaken us, but that you have died in our place and risen for us that we might be the recipients of the generous outpouring of your spirit, of your grace. Thank you for the brothers and sisters in this family who have already taken the step to trust you and receive you and are holding on to you, though sometimes our grip slips, Lord. If that's, if that's your story today, would you just be reminded that God's doesn't? Thank you, Lord, that you don't let go of us even though we slip on you. Perhaps today is your day to say, I'm home, Lord. If you love me like that, what was I thinking? I'm coming home to you. But maybe this is your day of salvation. And the right prayer for you to pray would be one like I prayed many years ago. Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. I believe, I receive you and the gift of salvation by your grace. Now lead me as I turn from my way to follow you and your way and let your love begin its healing work in me. Now with our heads still bowed just for a moment longer, we're not gonna linger long, but if you just prayed that prayer and opened your heart to Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and would let me ask God's blessing upon those steps of faith 
in your life, would you just simply raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner right there that you can click and allow us to join you in prayer as well. Thank you, several hands here in the middle, right in front of me, God bless you. And to my left, I'm seeing several as well, close to the aisle, toward the back, God bless you. To my right, right here in the middle. Thanks, God bless you guys, right here in the front. Thank you, sir. Lord Jesus, for every man and woman, every young person who by uplifted hand has just signified an open heart, we pray that you will grant them the sense of your presence, the feeling of your touch, and the power of your love to let the healing begin that your salvation brings. And we give you thanks for each one as we ask your blessing for them. You join me in this prayer, say amen. Amen.